You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, joined, always, as always, by our friend and Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And if you listened, if you haven't listened yet, I think you should. Uh, we had ESPN's Brian Windhorst on the last podcast, and it was a special edition of the podcast. So it's still up. Uh, I'm going to link it to the post that we're going to post this on. So go check that out. He had a lot of interesting things to say. I think a lot of people, you know, loved his insight and uh, um yeah, just go check it out for sure. But first of all, before we get started, Chris, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, are you enjoying these temperatures as much as I'm trying to? Oh, you know it, brother. Um, yeah. Did leaves all afternoon, actually. So that was fun. That was good to get outside, do something active. Um, we were able to get out to the golf course uh, one more time. I don't know if I'm going to be able to go tomorrow or Wednesday. I'm not sure what the weather is going to be like, but... If, if it was the last time, I got a nice round in at my old home course in high school, which was great to go back there for the first time in, man, maybe 19 years. Wow. 19 years? That. Yeah. I mean, smoke. It, was, it was weird that it was our home course in high school because it was Briarwood and St. Ed's is in Lakewood. But I think at that time, our, our golf coach had some kind of agreement or knew some people from Briarwood, which is in Broadview Heights. So if you think about it, for me, I have been local my entire life, but I've been more on the west side. So it's right. tough for me to commit 40 minutes to a drive of Briarwood or something like that. I usually end up playing closer to me, Big Met, um, Sweet Briar, Legacy, you know, uh, Stonewater every now and then on the east side, Valley of the Eagles, which I love. So it's just like those courses are closer to me. So I never really had the inkling to go out to Broadview Heights. But seeing my old home course where I had my golf tryouts and stuff like that, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Did you yeah. shoot better than you did in high school? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Back in high school, man, you know this. I've been telling you this. Back in high school, I couldn't hit drivers, so I never did. So yeah. all the other people that I was playing against, all the other people that I was competing against in tryouts, they were all using driver and I was using three wood or five wood because I had no driver that I could control well enough to put in play. So I felt like sacrifice some distance, put it in play and try and make birdies and pars the hard way. Now I can hit driver. I found a driver yeah. that I can finally hit and it's changed my game completely. Uh, I think tomorrow, just looking at it, yeah. 75 is the high. It's a gorgeous oh, day. So boy. you might, if you can, if you can swing something, get out there. 
I might have to try one last time. Yeah, I might have to as well. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's going to be another gorgeous day. I mean, it's been unbelievable. I think we're setting record highs in November. So at least, at very least, amidst all of the crap that's going on uh, in 2020, at least we're getting some good weather. I think it's been a relatively good weather year. Um, yeah, I would agree everything. with that. Which, which, of course, when we're supposed to stay inside, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, getting into basketball a little bit, we have an agreement, right? We have an agreement. The NBA season Ish. is going to start. Ish. Soon. Ish. Ish. There, there are some finer details that need to be worked out. I was actually talking to my wife about this earlier today. Um, the player side have agreed to the NBA's proposal which is really, really good. But now they have the other finite details that they have to work out, right? What's the salary cap going to be when free agency is going to start? How much escrow uh, there is going to be involved when it comes to players' contracts? So it all looks like December 22nd is going to be the start date, but there's a collective bargaining agreement that still needs to be worked out here. So it's hard to say, yes, for sure, this is the date. I'd say that the league is operating under that belief and the players are operating under that belief. But until something is done, it's hard to say something is done. That's true. It's not It's not <laughs> over till it's over. It doesn't happen until it happens. Especially, especially given the way that things have gone throughout the course of this offseason, right? At one point, it seemed like the draft was not going to be November 18th. It was supposed to be in October, right? And then all of a sudden it turns into November 18th. So I just think we have to be really, really careful um, considering we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and things can change rapidly. Yes. And given the fact, I mean, it's amazing. We talked about this with Brian a little bit. Um, the draft, November 18th. Yeah. And like literally a month and four days after around there, <laughs> yes. we're back to NBA. Bat. I mean, these guys are going to have the shortest turnaround Ever, yeah. I mean, I guess they haven't played in like uh, so long, but I mean, it's, just, too. it's it's gonna be insane to watch. I mean, I don't know if you can even give you know you know usually you give rookies a, a full season before you start to you know judge them on what they are. I mean, these guys might need two years just because yep. the first year is gonna be like the first half of the season is gonna be like an extended training camp. Well, that's the point. I think um, it is going to be the shortest off season in NBA history for certain teams. And then the longest offseason in NBA history for other teams. That's very and true. I'm not sure, given that, Hayden, who has the advantage in a situation like that. Right? So, like, the guys who haven't played since March are at a significant disadvantage because they've only been able to do one-on-o for the most part. Like, obviously, the Delete Eight had the mini bubble and they were able to practice and scrimmage and do five-on-five -five and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's been one-on-o type workouts. It's been such a long layoff, and it's going to be a condensed schedule uh, that it's going to be hard, I think, for some of these guys to really get in game form, game shape um, if the league starts December 22nd. And then for the teams that, that had an extended stay in the Disney bubble, it's not enough time for their bodies to recover physically and mentally from everything that they just went through. Um, so it's a fascinating, I think it's a fascinating um, situation where you have a group of teams that are looking at it one way and another group of teams that are looking at it another way. And both of them are saying, making a case potentially that they're going to be at a disadvantage going into the season. 
LeBron's already said that he's taking a taking the first uh, half of the season off. <laughs> no, LeBron's playing Christmas. Everybody knows LeBron's playing Christmas, and then yes. he'll say peace until the new year. Yes, I mean, by taking it off. I mean, he's what do he say? Cherry picking. Yeah, I think that was, so. Essentially, yeah, I don't think he's going to be. You know, he'll play hard on Christmas, I'm sure, but I think he's going to. You know, I, I think it's best for him and best for his team if he probably doesn't go hard from the get-go. I mean, after everything they've been through in such tr- short turnaround, I mean, at that point, why not? You know, why not just kind of try to shut it down a little bit? A little bit. Here's the other thing that LeBron is doing, and he would not say this publicly, and that's okay. LeBron cares deeply about where he ranks all time. You know yes. this. He yes. has had these conversations where in the Cavs locker room, after games— he is doing math in his head about how many games he needs to play during the season and how many points he has to average during a season to get to a certain metric. You know that. He yep. wants to be the all-time leading scorer. So LeBron right now, chances are, um, in between workouts and everything else that he does to keep his body right, he is doing math. He's saying, all right, this season is going to be most likely a 72 game regular season. Yep. How many points do I have to average throughout the course of this season to continue on the pace that I'm at when it comes to being the league all-time scoring champ? How many games do I need to play? All of those things are going on right now. I guarantee right. it because that's just how he's wired. Correct. He's definitely, I mean, everything he does is calculated. Lit- almost literally everything, literally everything. Yes. It's all calculated, and I'm sure you're right. I'm sure that he's looking through, you know, the proposed or whatever the the you know timeline and the schedule, and he's trying to work it out all you know so that it works for him and that it, you know goes in his favor. So you're right. Right. Can so he can look at last year. And he can say, "All right, we played 67 games last year. I scored 1,698 points in the regular season. So if I play 67, take off five somewhere." Maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks, however the schedule works out, I can get around 1,700 points again. Mm -hmm. So if I get around 1,700 points again, that brings me right around 36,000 for my career. And then Jordan and Kareem and all these other guys are here. So that's that's how he operates. Telling you right now. Absolutely. we're going to get into some draft draft stuff too, but I want to talk a little bit about what Brian was saying because we talked about LeBron with Brian and we talked about a lot of things about the Cavaliers in general. And um, I think I think that you probably differ a little bit in some of the opinions that you guys have, um, yeah. you know, in regards to the Cavaliers and what their situation is. Brian had more of a a little bit of a bleak outlook just because the Cavaliers, their talent, you know, he didn't really think that the Cavaliers' talent was going to take them very far anytime soon. Um, you know, we kind of seems to tends to believe that maybe Colin Sexton, and I don't think you disagree with this, but maybe Colin Sexton's best role is on the bench as a sixth man. Um, and I saw that that got aggregated. A lot of things got aggregated from that conversation I saw. Um, you know, which which happens. But um, what, were the, what were some of the big takeaways that you had from what Brian was saying, and where do you either differ or agree? Yeah, so look um, – I understand what people are saying about a bleak outlook that Brian had. And and look, if we're being honest, um, the Cavs are a lot closer to teams ranked 
10 to 15 in the Eastern Conference than they are one to nine, if we're just being honest about it, right? And, And Brian went through it, and we went through it on the last podcast. Milwaukee's not going anywhere. Toronto's not going anywhere. Boston's not going anywhere. Miami looks like it's on the rise. Philadelphia should be better if they can finally figure out everything that they need to figure out. Doc should help with that. Brooklyn is going to be better because Kyrie's going to be healthy and KD's going to be healthy. And even if KD's not the KD that he was in Golden State or Oklahoma City, that's still a huge boost to a 35-win team already. Orlando won 33 um, and pushed Milwaukee for a little bit in the first round of that series. The Cavs won 19. Like, think about the difference between Orlando and the Cavs. And Orlando's the eighth seed that a lot of people look at as maybe vulnerable, right? But the Cavs were still 10-plus games behind the Orlando Magic, just overall. Yeah. In the win column, they were 14 back. Now, some of that's all tricky. But you get my point. Yeah. So, like, if you're if you're having an honest evaluation of, of who the Cavs are and who they can be in the Eastern Conference this year, I think that's where the conversation has to start with the other competition that the Cavs have to get into the mix with. And then there are the other teams, 9 through 15, that are kind of in the same range as the Cavs. And you could probably argue some of them in terms of pure talent and and situation and and coaching and all those different things. But that's like a huge cluster that is so far behind the other eight teams. There's a huge gap between eight and nine. Um, so if we're having an honest evaluation of, of what the Cavs can be this upcoming season, like how are they going to get to the level that those other playoff teams are at? And what is the path for them to do that? Um, I don't know that there is a path, Hayden. I don't believe that there's a path for them to get there. Is there a path to 28 to 32 wins? Yeah, I think maybe in, in an 82 game season. If you start talking about 72, now you're probably looking between 24 and 28 wins for a group like this. Like, what does that mean? That means they're better. That means they're headed in the right direction. That means they show improvement. But that doesn't mean playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Right. So I I think it's fair to look at some of the young guys that the Cavs have on this roster and feel intrigued about the potential. And look at J.B. Bickerstaff as a head coach and feel like things are going to be better from that aspect, while also understanding that the Cavs are far behind the legitimate playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. Yep. Uh, And that's where I am personally. Like, I'm excited about the growth of Kevin Porter Jr. in year two. Colin Sexton was one of the best players in the Eastern Conference at the time that coronavirus hit. Like, he was having a torrid stretch for about two months straight that that even the most skeptical Colin Sexton person would have to admit. Um, Darius Garland should be better, given that he's got one year of experience in the NBA and he had a full offseason to actually work on his game. Dylan Windler's been able to do things this offseason that he couldn't as much um, because he was shut down with injury. Like, all of those components make the Cavs exciting. Um, But I think there is an absolute ceiling on what they can truly accomplish because the talent level between them and the other teams that are playoff teams 
is vast. Absolutely. I've, I, I totally agree that, you know, this is a situation where you just got, I mean, as Brian said, and as you said, and as I've said, we've said a million times, the only way for this team to really improve is through internal improvement and getting, you know, and maybe drafting, you know, maybe Kevin Porter Jr. becomes some, you know, some kind of star that, you know, we saw last season, you know, his improvement and maybe this number five draft pick becomes a star. And I think that's the only really, the only way to really look at this Cavaliers team is, okay, you know, these guys, they're not going to be able to sign a, a big-time free agent, although we can talk about the Chris Paul thing. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to, you know, look externally for all these options. I think that the way to go and the way the thing to look at if you're a Cavs fan is to just hope that these young kids, you know, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., whoever they draft this year, if these guys can really improve and show something, then, you know, then you're going to be in a much better spot. Um, I just don't think the Chris Paul thing makes any sense. I mean, Brian was talking about, you know, it's possible that, you know, they it, it's it's literally possible. I don't know if it's it's possible in the sense that the Cavaliers would want to do it, but it's possible in that, hey, they could they could, you know, swing a trade for they have the assets to swing a trade for Chris Paul. But what are you doing that for? I mean, what do you you you've had all these top picks. You're just going to trade them for maybe a year or two of Chris Paul to try to see if you can do something. I mean, I just don't think it makes much sense. First of all, I don't think it would take what you're saying. Uh, and no? I think it starts there. No, I don't think they would have to trade top picks in order to get Chris Paul. Okay. I think it's a salary dump. I think it's okay. it's. I don't think Oklahoma City is going this direction yet when it comes to Chris Paul. But if they were to go down the road of trading him, I do think it's to get that contract off their books so that they have more financial flexibility and optionality. And if they take somebody like Andre Drummond, for example, that's a contract that becomes an expiring contract that one, they could try and flip or two, it's just they get a long-term salary that doesn't make sense in their rebuild situation off their books. And if it's Drummond, it becomes clean next off season. Um, So I think that would be very similar. As weird as this sounds, I think it would be very similar to the deal that the Cavs made for Drummond. Um, Detroit was in a situation where they did not want Andre Drummond to pick up his $28.7 million option. They chose salary cap space. And they took on two expiring contracts and a future second round pick. Oklahoma City is in a rebuild just like Detroit. And it's time to clean up the books. And Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder and Steven Adams, like all those guys, they have decisions to make on which direction they're going to go under the umbrella of we have to rebuild. And in order to rebuild, we need draft picks and we need uh, salary cap flexibility. So I don't think the Cavs would have to give up that much in that kind of scenario. Um, So it would be more a situation like, Hayden, why not? Why not bring on a future Hall of Fame point guard who can teach somebody like Darius Garland the right way to play, can help the growth of Colin Sexton? Like if the Cavs looked at a situation like that and felt that it wasn't going to be to the detriment of the young guys that they have on the roster, and it was going to enhance their ability to learn from a guy like that, to play alongside a guy like that, and if the price is right, then I do think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, I don't think Oklahoma City would trade him to a team like this, though. I think they will do right by Chris Paul, and I think uh, he has earned that. And I think there are enough other people out there, um, not just the Cavs, enough other teams out there 
um, that can give a similar package or at least satisfy what it is Oklahoma City wants in a Chris Paul deal that um, Oklahoma City wouldn't have to throw him to um, a team that's in year three of a rebuild. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand, you know, all your points and especially the last one being, you know, with with Chris Paul, they want to do right by him because he did do a good job for them last year. Uh, oh, God, and, yeah. And I think he's, you know, he's always been a professional and, you know, I think he wasn't very happy with how things worked out. Um, but, you know, I do wonder if the Cavaliers, I mean, I, I don't know, how, you know, how long we want to continue to talk about this because I think it's such a remote possibility for all right. those. For it's those a huge hypothetical. Right. But. I think with Chris Paul, I think also, yeah, you 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 are taking, you know, you, you are having a guy in there that could teach Darius Garland, that could teach, you know, the young guards. But also, I mean, it, is it a situation where these guys just need to play to get that experience and to get better? Or is this a situation where they really could use the tutelage? And I think if Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul would obviously want to play and I would obviously get a ton of sure. minutes. So I don't know how that would right. balance out. And I think that's the delicate balance that the Cavs have to look at. Um, when it comes to trading for anybody, Hayden, but also when it comes to signing any free agent as well. Right. Um, we also talked about the draft with Brian, and the draft is nine days away, so we uh, we will have one more podcast before the draft, um, and we can really dive into it then, or we could dive into it now, whichever you want. Uh, but I think a couple of days before the draft, I think we'll have a much more clear picture of maybe what teams are thinking, or maybe we'll have even a smokier picture because, you know, that's what drafts do. They, they bring about a lot of smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. and, you know, teams trying to outdo each other. But um, have you heard anything in regards to the Cavaliers? And have you heard anything in regards to their their thoughts, their plans, their, you know, I think probably now is when they're probably most tight-lipped just mm-hmm. getting ready for this thing. I wrote it today. I said it with you on the podcast before, Brian. It's the one that we recorded last week. Yeah. Um, I believe... It's a four-player race. And and four, I think, is a little tricky, honestly. I do. Um, I think it's either Denny Avdia, Isaac Okoro, Obi Toppin, or Onyeka Kongwu. Um, But a lot would have had to change from lottery night until today. And it could because coaches have gotten involved. There's been more film breakdown um, the Cavs met with Onyeka Kongwu last week. Um, I just think he's further down that list for the Cavs. And okay. I get the sense that that, to me personally, is more about enticing a team, say like Washington at number nine, to trade up to number five rather than the Cavs taking Big O. I'm not saying they wouldn't. There are a lot of reasons why he would make a ton of sense for the Cavs, especially given how much help they need on the defensive end of the floor and given the kind of run that Bam went on throughout the bubble and in the playoffs. Um, You can certainly make that argument. On top of that, you know, the Cavs front court picture, while it looks crowded right now, if you start digging through it and putting in perspective, it could look completely different at this time next year. And they have to really be prepared for that. Um, So I do think he's in the mix. I do. Uh, I just think he's further down that list than the other three that I mentioned. So for your list, break us down your list again. Well, this is what I believe the Cavs have it narrowed down to. I have, I I believe that they have narrowed it down to Isaac Okoro, Denny Avdia, Obi Toppin, and Anyaka Kongwu. Right. And 
I believe there are other guys that the Cavs like, including Devin Vassell, Tyrese Halliburton, Patrick Williams of Florida State. I just don't think they go that direction. I think it's too high for Vassell or Vassell and uh, Williams. And I think they would have a hard time um, as, as much as they like him and he's quote unquote safe and nobody has a bad thing to say about him. And you can make the argument because of his size and his passing ability that the Cavs need a player like him. I think they'd have a hard time going the direction of Tyrese Halliburton when, when it comes down to it. It's easy to say now we like him and the things that he brings to the table and we can build something similar to Oklahoma City with their three guards. Um, when it comes to making that decision, I just think they'd be pulled in a different direction. And you still believe that of all the players, now not so much, you know, you said that the best idea for the Cavaliers would be to trade down. Yeah. You still believe that Isaac Okoro would be the pick. Or you would you believe that, that would be, be the best pick. You'd be the you would believe that would be the best pick. You you uh, yeah. you think yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah. He's the guy I think they should take. Right. Um, I don't know if they're going to at this point in time. I think they're still making up their mind on on who is the best option for them at number five. Right. And like I said, I think it's realistically between just four now. And so and maybe but I'll say So you'll four. be doing another are you doing you're you're gonna be doing another mock draft, right? I am, yes. So the last one you had Obi Toppin at number yeah. five. Yeah. Do you think that have you will you change that? Is there anything that compels you to change that? Or I mean, are you just you still have a feeling that maybe, you know, that's the pick at number five with best player available? Um, I'm hedging a little bit on that, honestly. Like, if yeah. I were to do my mac, my mock draft for tomorrow, hypothetically, yeah. if that's what I was doing, I would really be wrestling over two guys. I would be wrestling over Obi and Okoro. Okay. And I have a hard time figuring out exactly which one I would put in that slot. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's really no, hard. Of course, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's probably it's hard for them too. They're they're probably vacillating between two guys as well. I mean, it's not you know they're, they're still talking and they're still trying to make a decision. So it's definitely not easy for them either. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously you know the amount of things that we've talked about. It just makes you know both of those guys, for one way or another, make sense. Um, right. As does you know as do a lot of them. I mean, a lot of the guys make sense, but it all comes down to who's there. You know, is there a, is there a player that is, say some team really loves Obi Toppin and the Cavaliers are at number five? I mean, is there a team that really wants to come down? So there's a there's so much at play with the draft, and we you know we've talked so much about the different guys that are in play for the Cavaliers and what the Cavaliers could do. And the funny thing is that like on draft day, it could just all come crumbling down, and then we're talking about oh well they're going to pick at number ten, or they're going to pick at number eight, or they're going right. to you know they get a great deal for number seven, and then then who's there? So. Yeah, it's it's just a very, very the draft is always a very difficult thing to discuss and to prognosticate and to, um, you know, like I said, just to just to, to try to nail down. And to your point, Hayden, especially when you're picking five, right. right? If the Cavs were picking one or two, I think it's a different kind of conversation. Um, right. But when you're picking at five, you're beholden to what happens in front of you. And you've yeah. got two teams Heck, you've got three teams in the top three that would have motivation to trade one way or the other. You know, Minnesota has motivation to move back to try and find help now pieces. 
Golden State Warriors have motivation to trade back and find help now pieces. Charlotte has motivation to trade up because of Wiseman. Right. So you've got those three teams, and then Chicago's got a brand new front office, new coaching staff, and it's hard to know what the new front office thinks about the leftovers in Chicago, or the holdovers, I should say, in Chicago. Because on one hand, you could sit there and you say, well, you know, X doesn't make sense for Chicago because they have Zach Levine, or they have Laurie Markin in, or they have Wendell Carter Jr., who they invested, um, all three guys they invested in a big way. But it's like, okay, sure, that's how the previous regime felt about those guys. How does the new regime feel about those guys? And it's hard to know that in this kind of offseason um, where evaluation, even of internal guys, has proven difficult because you're not seeing them um, in the same way that you usually do, in the same environment that right. you usually do. So that's making things complicated as well. Uh, the other thing that I want to say, Hayden, there is a belief. I talked to multiple executives over the last couple of days. This isn't confirmed, but there is a belief that Isaac Okoro has a promise. Has a nope. promise team? Yes, nobody knows who that promise came from, but there is a belief that Isaac Okoro has a promise, and that's why he shut down things at the NBA Combine. He was uh, scheduled to participate in interviews at the NBA Combine, um, it got rescheduled once, and then it got completely canceled. Hmm. Um, and, and it was around that time uh, that people felt like, oh, what's going on here? Does he have a promise? And now that belief has picked up as the draft gets closer. Interesting. Yep. So you think now could that be a team in front of Kev Cleveland? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think that's too high for him. Yeah. But given Given the other – given the other natural talent that's on the board, like I love him. I think he's fantastic, especially for the Cavs. I think yeah. he's exactly what the Cavs need. It's, it's what they've needed for the last couple of years. Right. But I can understand why not everybody sees him the same way that I do. Right. That's interesting, though. That's very interesting. Yeah. You know, because you're right. I mean, you know, people were kind of wondering, well, what happened, what happened, what happened? But, yeah, I mean, that makes – that would make sense. Um, did the Cavs, the Cav well, we, I guess you wouldn't, or we wouldn't know. I mean, they're pretty tight-lipped about it, but I'm sure the Cavaliers made an effort to go see him over this Look, last they have been, they have been on the Auburn campus for the last, like, year plus. You know what I mean? The night that, the night that John Beeline had the thug-slugs thing, um, general manager Kobe Altman was in Auburn. He was going to watch Isaac play. Right. Uh, you know, they've seen him in person. They've talked to Bruce Pearl. I had a conversation with Bruce Pearl the other day. He said that the Cavs have done their due diligence and they've been on Isaac from the very beginning. So um, they've done their homework. What did Bruce, what did Bruce Pearl have to say? I mean, that's talk about a personality. Talk about a. Oh, a what do you think he had to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Loves him. Sure he was effusive. Yeah. Loves him. And I get it. Like to me. Isaac Okoro is a coach's dream. I was talking to somebody with USA Basketball about Isaac Okoro um, for this big piece that I'm working on. And the person from USA Basketball, who, by the way, cut Isaac twice for Team USA because of all the talent that they had, said that every time we put him on the court, good things happened. He was surrounded by a bunch of talent, maybe even more talented than him. 
But every time they put him on the court, he did good things offensively and defensively. And it's hard. It's hard to measure that in just natural statistics. Right. That, no, I mean, definitely immeasurables are part of his, you know, part of the lore. Yeah, I think Bruce Pearl was talking about it. Obviously, he went undefeated as a senior in high school. Um, and I, I forget what Auburn's record was. I think they might have had six losses or something like that this year. Um, three of those, I believe, came without Isaac Okoro because he was hurt for some reason. So he's just the kind of guy that impacts winning. And and that's why you can understand why these coaches that have been with him or have had the opportunity to coach him, like Bruce Pearl, they love all the things that he brings. Bruce Pearl compared him to Andre Iguodala. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes that makes sense. It's, it's kind of – I like that comparison. A guy that – and certainly Andre Iguodala could help the Cavaliers. I mean, at a younger yeah. Andre Iguodala. Yeah, that type of player is exactly what they need. Right. At least I think so. We'll see yeah. if the Cavs feel the same way come draft night. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. And we'll have a better sense within the next week or so. And, again, nine days away from the NBA draft after how after what seemed like forever this offseason. Um, one more thing I want to get to, because we have had a lot of podcasts, and I don't think we have to make this a super long one right. uh, because we'll get ready for next week. Um, Tristan Thompson. I forgot to bring this up at the beginning, but we um, certainly talked about it with Brian. Um, talked about the scenarios. Talked about maybe Tristan Thompson wanting to go, you know, somewhere else for a one-year deal. Maybe Cleveland could bring him. You know, he said Cleveland has given him an offer that they didn't really like, or uh, that, that that Tristan didn't really like, and his team didn't really like. Um, what do you think? I mean, what do you think happens here? Do you think Cleveland ups this offer and gets him back for a year? Do you think that Tristan Thompson, you know, given the market, we talked a lot about the market for bigs and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Bryant said he could play for the minimum. Um, I mean, wh- where are you at with this? Did you see John Hollinger from The Athletic? I did not. All right. So he's a former executive with the I Memphis John Grizzlies. John is. I just didn't see yep. what he said. For those that don't know, former executive from the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's been ranking all of the free agents in the class by position. And he's been trying to tabulate based on his own metrics. um, He's been trying to tabulate where they're going to fall financially. Mm -hmm. And he's got a tier one of max guys. He's got a tier two of more than the mid-level exception, but less than the max. Um... He's got a tier three of mid-level guys, a tier four of less than the mid-level, but more than the minimum. And then he's got minimum guys. Take a guess where Tristan Thompson falls on his list. The last one. Yes. He has him as a minimum guy. Now, um, that doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. For example, he's got Jeremy Grant as less than the mid-level, um, and I think he's going to get probably 10 to 12 per year. So um, it doesn't mean this is what's going to happen. It just means that's how he believes they should be valued at this point in time. And right. this is what he says about Thompson. Thompson averaged a double-double last year, believe it or not, but it's hard to look at his year and say he was truly productive with a 51.8% two-point shooting percentage and a jump in turnovers. The one thing he still does in bunches, 
grab rebounds. Yanking down 18.6% of missed shots last season. Defensively, he's unspectacular, although he did boost his block rate last season. Overall, I'd lump him in with John Henson at the top of my minimum contract center pool. Oh, boy. John Henson. Former Cavalier John Henson. Yes, that's right. Wow. So there are a few things that I think Tristan Thompson is going to understand. What's that? John Henson, who couldn't really find his way to the floor for the Cavaliers. Well, no, because he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, that's true, too. Well, that's, I mean, that's been his biggest problem. When he found his way to the floor, he was impactful. And if you remember, last offseason, during training camp, there were people inside the organization that were really excited about yeah. having John Henson and the things that he would bring to the table. You know, yeah. John Beeline was raving about him, talking yeah. about blocking shots, the athleticism, the length, all those different things. Um, he just couldn't stay healthy. But that's just, I mean, that just, sho- I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but that shocks me to hear them in the same breath, John Henson and Tristan Thompson, like in, it's in terms of value. Why? <sighs> Name recognition, maybe? I don't know. Maybe it's just a, 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 a surface thing. Well, here are a few things that, but, that I but think. But when you look at the, when you look at the numbers and the metrics, I'm sure it actually absolutely is, is similar. Well, it's just a few things that I think Tristan is probably going to understand quickly in free agency. Uh, Number one, centers are the most accessible commodity in the NBA. Yes. So there's that. Yes. Uh, Number two, there aren't contenders with money. Yes. Number three, the mid-level exception this year for a lot of teams – based on the way a lot of things are headed, that is, let's say it's the Lakers. Let's say it's the Clippers. Those two teams come to mind because they've been linked to Tristan. Toronto is another team linked to Tristan. I think you can probably throw Boston in there as well. From what I know, they do like him. Um, for those teams that are over the cap, their one route to external improvement is going to be the mid-level exception. So the thing that they have to figure out is, okay, if this is our one vehicle, are we going to use it on him? Right. Right? Like, that's it. That's your move. And I'm not sure that there are a lot of teams in the NBA that are willing to say, if there's one move that we're going to make this offseason, it's going to be a center who's one undersized, doesn't block a lot of shots, and, and can't shoot from the outside. Maybe a team will see him different. Maybe a team will see him the way that the Cavs have for the last couple of years and say that's a veteran leader, right? That's somebody with championship experience. He gobbles up rebounds. He gets second chance opportunities. But aren't there other guys that can do that as well? And maybe could be had for cheaper? I don't know. So the mid-level exception, a lot of people are throwing that around. That's between like eight to $10 million dollars. One, not every team has the full mid-level. Some teams have less than that because they have the taxpayer mid-level. And two, like I said, teams are going to be really judicious about how they spend that this offseason specifically. Right, especially this offseason with everything going on. You're right. Right, and if you're looking at the list of of available guys um, that fall in the same range with Tristan, you know, Christian Wood is going to get a better contract because he's younger and there's more upside to him. Jakob mm-hmm. Pertle is going to get more because, one, he's a restricted free agent. Two, he's younger. 
And like I said, there's more upside with him. You know, Montrez Harrell, he's going to get more. Nerlens Noel, he's in that category with guys like Nerlens Noel, Mark Gasol, uh, JaVale McGee. Serge Ibaka is probably in a different level than him. He's probably higher than him. So, like, these guys that are all in that range are all looking at a significant pay cut from what they're used to making. Did I see that Mark Gasol is going overseas? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he's contemplating it. It would make a lot of sense for him to finish his career overseas. I thought I saw that. I'm going to look that up now. But, yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying with um, him being in the same tier. I mean, it is. It's it's honestly, I think it's the, the position. It's everything. It's, it's And Aaron Baines is another one. I forgot Aaron Baines. There you he go. could start on a team. He could do okay. a lot of the things that Tristan can do. So, okay, so you were right. It's just he's just considering a move to Spain, right. which right. I think he could. Sure. Yeah. All right. I just I thought I saw something official. Maybe I don't know. With all these Instagram posts that say breaking and then there's no news and then they put in the <laughs> caption or whatever, it's like, all right, well, yeah, who yeah. knows who knows what's real and what's fake these days, Chris. We we have had an election uh That's right. Over the last That's right. Days, so I just think for Tristan, he's going to have to understand for him it's money or a chance to win, probably not both. And the chance to win is probably going to come with way less money than what he would want. So for the Cavs, from their perspective, they understand the market, right? They understand the other available options. They're not going to start bidding against themselves. Right. No, not at all. They're going to see what the market dictates he's going to be worth. They're going to see what happens in the NBA draft. For them, if Wiseman were to fall to five, suddenly the need for Tristan goes down, right? Yep. If, if they take Onyeka Kongwu at number five, suddenly the need for Tristan goes down. So there are just a lot of things that, that have to play out first before the Cavs start making these big offers to somebody like Tristan. Now, does he make sense to come back? Of course he does. And yes. I think he would probably have the most value with the Cavs than any other place. Um, but that doesn't mean that the Cavs have to go overboard in terms of trying to bring him back. The last thing that they want to get into in this kind of situation, year three of a rebuild, is to start overpaying guys. That's bad business to do that. Yeah, that's and that's certainly something they are not. I, I mean, I think they're pretty judicious about what they how they do spend. Um, they have been, sure. Yeah, they have been. So I don't think Tristan Thompson would be any different. I still, I mean, I, that's. The, I think I see two scenarios. I see a scenario in which he comes back to the Cavs for a year, or I see a scenario where he does play for them or for near the minimum or the minimum with the Lakers or the Clippers or you know one of those West Coast teams that you know that that they're going to be in the in the contention spot. I don't see him staying East Coast. Maybe I mean, may, I don't know if Toronto would be in the running, but you know, obviously him being there. But I see him going out west and and trying to you know get get that winning experience again. And then maybe he can prove that he you know deserves a little more money. But again, nothing that he's going to do in Cleveland is going to really unless he really balls out and really plays his butt yeah. off. I don't think that's ever going to like get his value up high. Now, if he plays for a contender and does a really good job in a role, then OK, then maybe I think his value might be a little higher. But here, here here's something else to consider. And I love Tristan. I think the things that he brings to the organization are invaluable and they're hard Certainly. to quantify. Certainly. In saying that, 
um, when it comes to free agency, you have to start quantifying those things, right? You have to yeah. start attaching value to those things. I think it's really easy for a team like the Lakers to say that they like Tristan. I think it's easy for a team like the Clippers or the Raptors or the Celtics or the Miami Heat to say, we like Tristan. He's mm -hmm. reliable. He's consistent. We know what we're getting on a day-to-day -day basis. He's professional. He's one of the greatest screen centers in the NBA right now. Um, and he's an elite offensive rebounder. Right. It's easy to say those things. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you have to start giving him a contract, then it becomes a different kind of conversation. A lot of teams have liked Tristan in the past. How many were willing to meet the Cavs asking price at the trade deadline? Zero. Zero. Right? A lot of teams can say that they like Tristan, but giving him the full mid-level exception or a portion of the mid-level is a lot different. You actually have to make that commitment. And to this point, uh, nobody's been willing to do that. Maybe a team like the Lakers does in free agency. Maybe a team like the Clippers or the Raptors do. Um, but they have other things that they need to figure out first. And they have other targets that may make more sense for them. Right. Chris, if uh, do we want to save do we want to save, you know, the rest of the stuff in regards to do we want to save it for a big episode next week? You know, kind of a draft final preview that we've I mean, we've I feel like I, feel like there's, <laughs> I really feel like there's I mean, if you've listened to the podcast from day one and you don't know about this draft and you don't know what's going to happen, that's on you. I mean, we have discussed this draft up and down and backwards and forwards. And what's going to happen at five? And what the Cavaliers are going to do at five? And who the prospects are? And what Kobe Allman's thinking? And what the Cavaliers are thinking? What every other team is thinking? And could they trade? Could they do this? Uh, but we'll break it all down next week because I think finally there, we might get some fringe Cavs fans that are you know finally looking forward to something active happening. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm good with with just letting it ride until uh, until next Monday. I agree. All right. Well. Saves, we'll save some words. We'll save some thoughts because I know that'll be an important episode for people to listen to with what? It would be like two, three days before the draft. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be three days. Yep. Three days. So perfect. All right. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, you can definitely sign up to get insight and analysis from Chris Fedor sent straight to your phone. 14-day uh, free trial and $3.99 a month after that. It's as easy as texting 216-208-4499. Again, 216-208-4499. Chris will give you all the insight and analysis that you need and that you want and that he's hearing, uh, things, the, things that he's hearing, things that um, are going on within the Cavaliers organization. You get it straight to your phone before Twitter gets it. So you are the first source that will receive the information. Um, and I think it's a very, very valuable thing for any Cavs fan. So again, 14-day free trial if you sign up, and then you will want to stay for the $3.99 a month, 216-208-4499. And especially, what better time to do it than now when you get the 14-day free trial and the NBA draft is less than two weeks away? I mean, you're going to want to stay once you sign up. So why would you not sign up now? It wouldn't make any sense. So again, 14-day free trial, 216-208-4499. Also, there is a link on this post that you can check out that has it as well. So go sign up for that. Chris, thank you as always for joining us. And we will talk in a big, big way next Monday as we get ready for this NBA draft. Sounds good, brother.
All right, Chris. Thanks so much, everybody. Enjoy this weather. Maybe you're running, listening to listening to us while you're running outside or walking around or whatever, but it's not going to stay this way for long. So enjoy the weather. Take care, and we will talk to you soon.